Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I'm so thrilled to have Luis Fernando Yosa back with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me back, Jenny. It was such a fun time talking to you about things that Kim Scott and I at Whole Child Sports care about so much last time. And I know we didn't cover everything one isn't supposed to because everything is everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, Luis, you have co-written two books that have really changed my life with Kim John Payne. Kim John Payne wrote Simplicity Parenting, which I read years and years and years ago before I was doing any of these things. And then more recently, I read these two books that you co-authored. One is called Beyond Winning, and it's about toxic youth sports culture. The subtitle is Smart Parenting in a Toxic Sports Environment. And then this second book called Emotionally Resilient Teens and Tweens. And Louise, they're some of my favorite books, absolute favorite. And I quote you all the time, especially I quote, and it comes from Beyond Winning. I quote this, when your kids are bored, you have not failed. I quote that all the time. That book about youth sports culture, and I read it before our kids were playing sports. I was so blown away by how much that book changed my life and changed my perspective and the thoughts about waiting and the nuances there. So you have this organization called Whole Child Sports that any parent could go to. It's a fantastic place to go and find resources. How do you pick a coach? Whole Child Sports, you're gonna find a lot there. And then these books are ones that have added a lot to our family life. Emotionally Resilient Teens and Tweens is about a lot of the bullying that can happen, but the subtle kind of being left out. It's all the situations that your kid is dealing with in life. And how do you handle that? And it goes situation by situation. There's stories. Older kids step in and give advice. Luis, the books are fantastic. Thank you so much. What a writer. What a researcher. They're interesting, just like I said, some of my favorite books. You have a journalism career. You've been all over the place. Sports Illustrated, Money Magazine, television a million times, Fox News, Fox and Friends, CBS Evening News, CNN, CNBC. I mean, I can't even, ESPN Radio, all of these places. And you wrote The Mexican Connection about steroid pipeline that happened and how that was affecting athletes and in 2008, Sins of a Father. A Sports Illustrated exclusive about a 13-year-old who was taking testosterone. And this story after story of what's going on in culture in relation to sports, in relation to childhood. And you've always had a passion for youth sports. And you are a coach yourself. Yes, 25 plus years. It's been a kind of a little mini death in me not to have little kids to coach anymore. My youngest is now 18. He's about to turn 19. He's very serious in soccer, wants to play probably Division Three soccer at college and uh, is being recruited. But I miss just going out to the park with them. We still do that sometimes, I think, on Thanksgiving if they're all back or something or go join a pickup game somewhere. What I love about what I'm seeing is one of my older sons is in Spain right now, and he would send me a clip of him playing pickup with some people on, ex- on his exchange program. And that matters more to me than in a very pointed way than the college success or potential college success playing at the highest level that my youngest son is going to experience because that's what we want for our kids, that they continue to be active. All three of my boys go to the gym every day or other day and they lift weights and they strengthen and they condition, but they do it in a healthy way. 
not to bulk up, but to be better and freer in their bodies and stronger. My daughter hikes a lot and she works on pottery. And that's a very physical hands involved, you know, hands, head, heart, very Waldorfian pursuit that she has. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad about that. I'm glad that while I know that I made uh, mistakes and fell into certain traps and part of writing both books is to learn from my own experiences and help others where I failed, but also help others where I found people with great advice who helped many like Kim. The reason for Beyond Winning as a book came about, as I may have told you in the last interview, because I attended a lecture at the Rudolf Steiner School in New York City, how to better raise boys and, and handle their rambunctiousness and their different stages of life. And because I knew Scott Lancaster, who had a program on Sirius XM about youth sports and the troubles and the solutions. And so I said, these two guys are awesome. I know a little bit about this and I have my own personal experience. Plus, I can frame things with words. And we, we all came together and, and over a period of time, this came about. And to show you how sort of life takes you on different paths and each moment, it's kind of a staging ground accidentally, you know, circumstantially serendipitously for the next moment. It's chapter five of Beyond Winning, which is titled How to Avoid Creating Entitlement Monsters, Bullying, Trash Talking, Elitism, and Other Assorted Sports Ills. That was the title of chapter five. It was inspired by a coach that I interviewed who felt that he bullied a kid and not listened to him in need. The kid later committed suicide. Tragic story. But the good that came out of it is that this assistant principal and football coach tailored the rest of his educator life to making sure that there was social integration in the middle schools that he's led. And so for me, it was writing that chapter with Kim John Payne about bullying and leaning on his 20-something, maybe now it's 30-something because it's been a minute, uh, years of experience working in the social ambiance of children and school and other situations in teenage, tween, and of course, toddler worlds that inspired me to participate with him in the, in the second book. Mm -hmm. Both of these books are kind of in a niche world. I know it's your entire world and it's kind of mine too. So we're all gung-ho, but the biggest hope I have, it's why I appreciate so much the reach that you have through a thousand hours outside, is to get these books into more people's hands. In no way because we're going to make any money because you don't make money on books. It's because the messages are there and yeah. your appreciation for what we wrote has warmed my heart because I want more people to experience it. Yes, eight or 9,000 books have been sold on Emotionally Resilient, but that's so few compared to the kids who could take advantage of the advice through the stories that we wrote about mm -hmm. how to handle situations. Same thing with Beyond Winning. You yourself said it's it's not just a youth sports book. It's a parenting. Right. Well, it was written with a parenting expert, Kim. So all of that infused our uh, Scott and, and my observations and then Scott's expertise on how to create great athletic experiences that engage the mind and spirit and body of, of kids. Mm -hmm. That's my wish anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. They are phenomenal books. And I have read, obviously, because of the podcast that I also like to read as well, I have read a lot of books in my lifetime. And these two books, like you said, they appear to be niche, but each book, so it's Beyond Winning and then Emotionally Resilient Teens and Tweens, each book has been very transformative for me as a parent, even as a parent who's already leaning that way anyway. And 
I was blown away. I mean, Beyond Winning is one of my favorite parenting books I've ever read. There was so much in there that confirmed slowing down. And you just said earlier this thought of what we really want is we really want our kids to be as active for as long as possible. We want them to play sports and to play games and to have community around these things for as long as possible into their adulthood. And yet 75% of something like that of kids quit by the time they're 13. And so we're not getting what we really want, that end goal. And Beyond Winning covers so much more. To me, it's a very comprehensive parenting book in a day and age when there's a lot of craze. There's a lot of craze for getting your kids ready and what's their future going to look like and can they get into this college? And there's a lot of that chaos. And so Beyond Winning is a grounding book for parents. It's one that whether you've got a kid that's into theater or a kid that's into music or a kid that's really into sports, it's a worthwhile read for any family. And then Emotionally Resilient Teens and Tweens, like it helped me as a person. It's one of those books that you go back to time and again, because you dealt with all of these types of situations that kids go through as they grow up in social environments and how do they navigate them and how do you as a parent help them navigate those situations because you're not there and they're just interesting you're a good writer there's a lot of books that you could get information out of but they're you know they're not quite so interesting or you're not like pulled into that book and they're books that you're going to love to read it and also you're going to get a lot out of them so those two books and the whole child sports there's information there too but i highly recommend having those as references you go back to them certain books you read once okay you got a lot out of it you don't need to have it on yourself but these books are both reference books that you would go back to let's hop on the sports thing for a little bit this book beyond winning you talk really about this hysteria for you sports and it, it really is quite a hysteria i mean this is taking up kids' entire childhoods. It's taking up a bulk of the family time. Why is there so much hysteria about youth sports? Well, we live in a world of mimesis, right? Of imitation. We want what we see out there, what gets attention, what gets focus. We want to replicate. This is more of a sort of a, not even philosophical, but more of a thought answer to that, which is a broader one, which is that everybody is trying to imitate what they see. What now has become in place maybe of religion to some degree, such a, a attention grabber, the focus of energy, money, staging is professional sports across the world. But it may even boil down to cocktail party bragging rights. So mm. these are two different trains I'm looking at right now. But the broader one is that we are so magnetically drawn to the theater of sport and performance and the winning and the success that is displayed before us in a Super Bowl, in an NBA championship, in a World Cup, in the Olympics. So we're drawn to that and we try to recreate that in our little family. If any one of our kids shows any inkling or little bit of talent or possibility, or a coach says, hey, your kid could go somewhere, he has all the raw material, we often jump on that and start focusing. And like you said, in an imbalanced way, uh, if one kid shows it and another doesn't, suddenly all our focus is on that kid. And the other kid tags along on vacations that are tailored to sports. The other kid is forced to be on the sidelines. How many times have I seen, you know, and this is because I have four boys and one girl, at the boys' games that I've coached with my younger kids, another little boy and a girl on the sidelines, you know, bored, looking at an iPad, doing nothing in particular, 
while their older kid who is considered a, you know, a really good player is being taught. So there's all that imbalance going on. Mm. The problem with kids is that the adultification of youth sports has accelerated and it's basically at 100 miles an hour now. Instead of kids getting the time to develop as young athletes, first as kids playing and becoming creative and enjoying free play, which is critical to later life. You know, we've mm -hmm. talked about that, but free play is critical to self-reliance, negotiating skills, creativity, reading social tone, all kinds of different things occur when there's no adult supervision in a free play and a, and a semi-structured play scenario. And that used to be from the age of four or five to 15, 16 in a different, in my day, in our day, mm -hmm. except for a very few, a uh, very sort of slim portion of the population that was in organized sports. Now, almost everyone is in some kind of organized activity. And if your kid has no propensity towards athletics, then it's music, like you said, or theater or some other thing. But the intensity with which we as parents jump on that train of they have to start early, they have to do it all year round with no breaks, they have to go to the camp, the music camp, if it's music, then they have to have three lessons a week or two plus they have to be in the other orchestra because that gives them a chance to be seen for the elite orchestra. It's all built in a way for performance and in a way to either assuage or boost our own ego as parents and for us to work through our own failings. Because, you know, as you get older, all those dreams and plans, you know, maybe you realize one, two or three if you're lucky, but many things fall by the wayside, what you wanted to become. And for some reason, and it's coming from a place of loving as a parent, you hope that your kid actually follows through where you didn't or goes further or experiences that level of ability that you never developed because you were either lazy or unfocused or you didn't have the opportunities because your parents didn't have the money. But it's become an industry over the years. And even as books have come out like Beyond Winning and other books from other colleagues and friends about the problems in youth sports and the dangers of the sports industrial complex, it has grown larger. So people like me or you who are trying to help parents with advice and with proof in the pudding hold at bay all this pressure and all this rigmarole how much we're succeeding, I don't know. The popularity of books like Simplicity Parenting is hardening. The fact that you have somebody like me who wrote Beyond Winning, which is about going beyond the performance aspect, the win-at-all-cost aspects, the results-oriented aspect of youth sport, but of anything to do with kids, the fact that you have me on the show to talk about this is a testimony that there are some of us out here who are yelling into the wind. But the wind is blowing very strong. It's almost at hurricane level. And I remember with Scott and Kim doing interviews in 2012, 2013, even before the book was written about toxicity in youth sports and the problems. And it's worse. Yeah. It is. It was an $8 billion industry. It was a $12 billion industry. Time did a big story four or five years ago. It was a 15 to $17 billion industry. Now it's a 25 or so billion dollar industry. And when you, I say that, you wonder, well, what do you mean by billion and industry? Well, when you break it down, what is it? It's parents 
paying for gas to drive all over the country, paying for airfare to fly to tournaments, to national championships for their nine-year-old in Taekwondo. And the Mm -hmm. fact that there are 740 national championships when the definition of a national championship is the one national, you know I mean? That's, that's all marketing, but it's the hotels we stay in. It's the meals. It's of course the fees we pay for the league and the administration. And it's the entire equipment industry that supplies shirts. And there is a travel teams change the style and look of their shirts every year or two. Why? A lot of the kids still fit into stuff or they could pass them on to the next team. It's because there's more buying going on. There's more consumerism. And that's, that's the complex. In the individual parents situation, it can be incredibly financially taxing. I've spoken to parents who have taken out second mortgages, lines of credit to finance the youth sports of their two or three kids in the hopes that it'll somehow have a payoff with college. Often it's just the goal of, of good college. But I got to tell you, the percentage of kids who play at the high school level, having played in middle school, is already slim, you know, and then the percentage of the high school players. So like in, in even a very unsuccessful division three soccer program, <laughs> you have 18 to 20 kids on a team, maybe 25 or 30 if they carry a large team. And all those kids were literally the very best in their states. Wow. And in division one, you have in the world because they're, if you look at the rosters, even of some division three teams, there are kids from Spain from Senegal, from Vietnam, from Argentina. They're importing players to boost their team's prospects, even in small liberal arts division three colleges with big names, you know, an Amherst, a, uh, a Williams. And so that's what your regular kid who works really hard and be- had some success and who you spent money with a trainer on, a private trainer, and also played top level or MLS next soccer program, academy, whatever it is, that's what they uh, they worked on to get there. And that's who they're competing against. They're competing against a kid from Africa with incredible talent who also may be, uh, you know, almost at, at graduate school level. They're playing against men. And I see all these really talented, skinny, short kids trying to get on these teams where the coaches is in their mind saying, you're not five 11 minimum. I'm not even going to look at you. You're not on one of the top 40 teams in the country in the youth travel system. I'm not going to even look at you. Wow. So then it's all about getting your kid to that travel team and paying all that money and taxing their bodies. So that's one thing. Then the other cost is medical hmm. because your kid, you've pressured them. They've been playing from too early. They've been doing the same repetitive movements over and over. They're getting injured. I just Heard yesterday of an 11-year-old with an ACL tear. I don't understand that. How can 11-year-old? They're so young. Their bodies are so incredibly repairing of themselves so quickly. How does an 11-year-old get an ACL tear? Well, probably because you've been training him from the age of four, not just in his team, but in his other team, and privately with the trainer, and also pushing him to camps, and never letting them have some time off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, 
Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchap.com slash outside120 code outside 120. So whole child sports beyond winning, we just want to bring some balance back. And if parents don't have a, I, I read something about like the last lighthouse person in some area. I don't know if it was, a, you know, there are still lighthouses, but there aren't that many that are person manned anymore, I guess. Yeah. So it was like the last lighthouse. We just want to be a lighthouse. So that some parents say, oh, really? There's an alternative? I can do this? It's not going to be so bad if I don't do that? Uh, because once they jump on the track, everybody around them, kind of like, you know, if you're in a Facebook group or you're in a social media group and everything is reinforcing, like all the articles are about what you believe in because the algorithm says that's what you want to read and that's what your friends in that group want to read. It's the same thing in youth sports. When you join a team, everybody else is doing that and you want your kid to, to not fall behind them. So you also get the trainer and you also pay for extra this and that. And you also take them, oh, your kid went to IMG this summer for an academy special camping experience for their basketball. Well, I don't have the money, but I'm going to figure a way out. I'm going to work extra shifts or whatever. So what do you do wow. when you work extra shifts or you spend those resources? There's an opportunity cost to that, which is you're not spending on your other kids you're not having regular vacations where you can bond as a family or you're not with your kids because you're working extra shifts to make the money to give them the opportunity. Then that weird thing happens, which is you get start getting angry at your kid because I just drove eight hours to Minnesota from, you know, two states over and you didn't even try today. I watched you. You didn't even put in a real effort. Well, I was, you know, really tired because we drove all night. Well, you know, have an orange juice. I got you pickle juice. We'll, we'll get a coffee, but I don't want to drive eight hours for you to look like, you know, you're not even 
fall and then be benched for the second game. So now I'm angry at my kid because they're not performing in a construct that I created and forced them to be in that I think that they want to be in and they do love it and enjoy it. But if I dug really deep into their psyche, I'd realize that a lot of it is also because they know that I care so much about this that I'll spend time with them doing it. I'm reinforcing for them that they're getting the special attention that maybe my other two kids aren't because they do this thing. And mm-hmm. so they keep on doing it even beyond sometimes. I mean, sometimes kids love it so much that they, you can, you can tell they're all, they begin to do it for themselves, but there's always that component of doing it for the parent. And in some cases, kids are just pushing themselves ad nauseum when they really want out of that sport or that activity because they're trying to please their parent because they realize if they stop doing it, the parent may move on to something else. And that's Mm -hmm. not wholesome connection. That's not a bond that's going to take you into their 20s and 30s and into your 50s and 60s as people who really connect. You push your kid in that way and there are going to be many Thanksgivings and Christmases when, you know, your husband or wife wonders why they didn't even call, let alone show up. Well, it's because they're reacting to uh, what they feel was a mistreatment, which they only realize about you later. Now, I just took it into like a little dark corner there of like family conflict. But this is something that we need to care about Mm -hmm. uh, the different ways in which an imbalance occurs in the lives of our kids. We should be striving to help them find a balance and not Mm -hmm. um, to push them and push them and push them. Because it's more about the process of learning something that's going to help them in later life. The likelihood that any one of our kids will become professional at the sport that they played, at the instrument that they trained on, uh, at the dance that they was their first love is slim. And it's okay. Some will make it, and that's fantastic. But many, many more hopefully will take the lessons they learned in the process of experiencing that to their job, whether it be teaching or mechanics or leading a team in a corporate structure or being part of a team in a corporate structure. Mm -hmm. That's a a long-winded response. I apologize. It's very layered and very interesting because the sports are in your face all the time. They're celebrated and they're fun. There's sports games on all the time. Is Sports Central, I think, right? That's what it's called. Yeah. I mean, this is like 24-7. Yeah. There's sports on all the time. There's always these exciting games. We like to watch college football sometimes. And it's very exciting. There's no one really saying what you're saying, which is your kid's probably not going pro. Yeah. Right? I mean, the extent to which you see sports celebrated and the extent to which people are saying what you're saying, which is 75% of kids quit by the time they're 13. And then you have this smaller pool of kids that can go on to even division three in college, but then they're pulling kids from all over the world. They're literally competing in a global contest is not really the right word, but a, there's global competition for those spots in division three. And that's the lowest, I guess, right? Division of college. Yeah. And then pro is in a whole other piece. No one's talking about that. So I think you just see all of this glorification of sports and because there's no balance of people saying, yeah, like your kid's probably not going to do that. Yeah. Maybe a lot of parents are thinking, my kid's got a shot. And I'm curious about this ego piece, Luis, because if you talk to parents, adults who grew up, let's say they grew up in the 70s or the 80s or earlier, you hear a lot of people say, 
my parents didn't even show up to my games or they came to a few games, whatever. But most of the time they weren't there. It was just my thing. Sports were my thing. I did it after school. I did the rec program. Sports were my thing. But that has changed dramatically. And there is this ego piece to it. I have felt it. I mean, our kids just play like homeschool basketball. But you have this like, ooh, my kid made that shot. I don't know what it is. It is so wild. What has changed from this, that's the kid thing, to this is my thing as a parent? Uh, that's a great question. Part of the answer is is in, and I'm sort of repeating what I said to a degree, but as you just mentioned, sports has become like what everybody watches. And in the world of marketing, in the world of selling time on screen, the number one thing that brings eyeballs is a sporting event. And why is that? Because it's a perfect theatrical structure, Aristotelian in principles. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. At the end, there are winners and losers. There's celebration, and it shouldn't be tra called tragedy because that's a misuse of the term, but there's victory and elation, and there's tragic loss of some, <laughs> for, in some mm. way. So it's the perfect encapsulation of, of a human theater. Wow. Yeah, there's heroes, right? There's heroes, there's helpers, there's villains. Wow. There's villains like... You know, the referee could be a villain because he made a bad call. Yeah. And then you have the, the president of a Turkish football club a few days ago racing on the field. The president of the club, I'm talking about like a high-end executive, and punching the referee at the end of the game and then being fired. Or you have the head of the Football Federation of Spain at the end of the culmination of the greatest sporting event in the world the World Cup of Soccer, in the Women's World Cup, the women women from Spain who were not expected to win the World Cup, and the president kisses without being asked to, you know, a hero from the team on the lips, kind of forcibly, and is then fired or resigns. But it, instead of the celebration of the team's victory, there's more focus on the social impact mm. of the man-woman conflict in that moment yeah so oh, it's unbelievable or you have uh and i'm just playing off of your excitement about the theater of this you have a 15 16 year old skater from russia melting down or simone biles quitting in the middle of her program with competitions yet to be had which by the way never happened before you always finish you know unless your your leg is broken those two moments, the girl breaking down uh, in the ice skating for Russia in the Olympics and Simone Biles saying, I can't do this anymore right now, even though she was in the glare of the moment of Olympic intensity, to me were moments of opportunity mm -hmm. because finally people started to talk more about the mental health impact on kids. You know, again, there are people out there who have been discussing this for decades. For I'm thinking of Megan Bartlett, the Center for Healing and Justice Through Sport, which she built up in the early 2010, 10, 11, 12. And now it's a globally recognized organization that coaches coaches on how to socially understand and work with kids better, bring more justice to sport, but also bring more 
mental health understanding to sport. And there's also a center for the Center for Human Rights interested in youth sports. And there's a whole there's a whole movement there of when a big event occurs in an African country or in France or the World Cup coming to Mexico, Spain, uh, sorry, Mexico, Canada and the U.S. What is a, the human rights impact on kids of building a new stadium and ruining where they used to play or displacing their homes or of the screen setting and, and what's happening to kids in those neighborhoods and how do they feel and how do we take their experience into account? So yeah. there is something going on there. Mm -hmm. There's a realization that there's a serious mental health impact. So the two events that I mentioned and others where athletes, even at the pro level, not teenagers, I need to take a mental health year off. Mm -hmm. Ricky Williams disappeared and smoked weed in, in, in Australia because he couldn't handle what was going on, the pressure there. Uh, other athletes more recently have taken a beat. And those two events and others, if you put that together with the pandemic and what it did to our kids uh, in, in terms of their feelings of security and uh, confidence and groundedness and safety, security, safety, kind of similar, mm -hmm. but there is an opportunity to change the way we do things. And the biggest barrier to that is what you mentioned in your question, which is the human ego, mm -hmm. right? The need is there. We understand it with our hearts, with our minds, because it's happening all over. The kids are breaking down. You know, they didn't yeah. learn well at Zoom. They, they don't have enough of a, a rudimentary uh, basic understandings, fundamentals of math and English and writing as they get to college. Colleges are revamping their, their, their educational tracks in order to have remedial this and remedial that. And you're like, you're in a college that costs $70,000 a year and you're learning how to write an essay. Mm. Kind of should have learned in high school, but wow. nobody is. Things are, uh, they're unraveling. Things are unraveling a bit. Right. But you know, I think that your answer is so fascinating. I have never, ever thought about it in the way of stories. And I don't know where I read this. It may have been simplicity parenting, but that we have a need, a need for soul feeding stories. And as we have become this culture, and maybe that's the biggest shift since the 90s, is that we've become this culture that is so filled with diversions and there are no stories anymore. It's you're spending your life scrolling people's 15 second videos on this and 30 second videos on TikTok and those soul feeding stories that I think used to be woven into society, woven into our neighborhoods where there's all these interesting things going on or you're reading, you're reading as a family. All of a sudden, those are all pretty much gone completely. Nobody reads fiction anymore. It's such a small percentage of people who read and were distracted. You know, and so here comes sports, and they always and they always tell a story, Louise. I mean, that's what they do. Of the times I, it's like, well, it's this guy's dad and the brother, and here's a story, and this kid might, and they, it's brilliant, and that's what they yes. do. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting uh, that you you say that about sport because our day is a story that we're we're developing, we're narrating our own day, right? By deciding, uh, you know, here's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to do that. And then in the evening, we're going to have dinner together. 
there are fewer and fewer moments in the day, the week, the weekend, when a family is narrating a story together. Having mm. dinner is an event where you're together and you're talking to each other or you're each on your phone or you're, you can't make it because you're at practice and she, she can't make it because she has a game. And dad isn't here either because he drove him or her to practice or a game. There are fewer and fewer of the family soul stories, the combined unit family soul stories. And if we're on our, our phones all the time, and if we're reading 30 second clip, uh, viewing 30 second clips and, and picking up the news here and there, then you're right. A 90 minute soccer game or a four quarter basketball game or a three hour football extravaganza may be one of the few times in the week when we're not looking at a screen or when we are. But if we go to the game, right. if we go to our kids game and not watch it on a feed, if we go to their game, that may be one of the few times when we're not watching something else and we're actually focusing on one thing mm. for a while. And so, like you say, I'm kind of discovering this as you as as we interview the theater of sport and the entertainment of the adult of watching their child play sports is an issue and it can be a real problem. But now that's even further elevated or accentuated by the fact that there are few other things that we have time to focus that much on. I can tell you when you watch your kid in a game, unless you're somebody who doesn't engage in, in sports or you're too busy, you know, ruling the universe or, you know, setting up the next party or whatever on your, you know, when, with your earbuds, you're focused, you're really watching and you're enjoying every second and you're engaged. But when you're focused and enjoying every second and engaged and you're being entertained by watching your kid, your ego is all there, all out there. Your ego is not in here. You're not centered and you're not breathing, you know, you're not experiencing a more balanced understanding of what's going on. So that if a kid slides a little too hard into your your child and your child gets it goes down in, in in what looks like a pain, you yell and scream and get angry at the ref instead of saying that's part of the game. Let's see if he's really hurt. And of course, this is what happens. So what do I do next? You're not really present. You're in your ego. There is actually a part of Beyond Winning that talks about the parent in respect to their sports biography and the ego-driven nature of how they navigate their child through sport. And so a parent's sports biography, and this is not something that Kim and I came up with, understanding your own biography is one of the foundational principles of psychology and um, psychoanalytical psychology. You know, you understand what you're attached to and what you're bound by, what you're in fear of abandonment about, which happens in your, in your early years and how that informs how you behave later as a teenager and an adult. If you became attached to the idea of how great you were as an athlete because you were a good athlete, you're going to want to give that to your kid, partly because you want them to experience what you experienced, also because you want to be able to tell the people through a pure egotistic channel that they're your your child and they're even better than you were and you did this and now they're doing that so that's mm -hmm. that's one thing but we've also noticed that if you 
don't have a sports biography, that's also a sports biography. In other words, if you never played sports and you don't know anything about sports, that is also a sports biography. It's one of maybe trying early on to catch a ball and not being able to and realizing you're not that coordinated and then therefore never trying again. I mean, I've taken kids who couldn't shoot a basket at age seven or eight or nine and within an hour gotten them to just shoot a basket just by imbuing them with the confidence of try it like this. Let's do it again. That was great. You're close. But many people make a snap decision in their youth that because it doesn't come that easy to them and it's embarrassing and weird, they look weird doing it, they think they don't go the sports route. So then if that person becomes an adult who knows nothing about sports, but has an athletically minded or driven child, they think, well, I don't really have a sports biography. So I don't have to learn my sports biography. You do. You have what your failings were or what you didn't think you could do or your absolute disinterest. And when that translates into finding a coach for your kid and I've had parents say, well, I don't, I never played sports. So I, I don't do it with my kids. I just find a program for them and then I hand them over to the coach and I don't, I just don't bug them. Like I just hands off. Like, cause why, why should I not having any knowledge of sports be like making comments? Hmm. Well, that's the thing. Probably the worst thing you could do, whether you're a very engaged parent, engaged sports parent, and a knowledgeable sports former athlete, or know a lot about sports and played them, or whether you're not, whether you have no sports history of your own personal, is to just hand your child over to somebody else. It's just not a good move because you don't know. There are parts of the experience of sports that you as a non-sporting parent can be very attuned to. And can help help guide your kid in. Like, is the social dynamic of the team really toxic, really negative? So is it not, is, is, is the not healthy? Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. 
As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Now that kind of comes into something that uh, I wanted to talk about briefly, which is a very practical consideration, how to choose a coach, a parent's mm-hmm. checklist, which is up there on our website, you know, wholechildsports.com. And I'm going to cheat a little bit because I want to be succinct. While you will always need to remain active in guiding your child's sporting life, at some point you will pass the coaching baton on to more experienced individuals. Finding a good coach for your kid is important and not always easy. As you search, keep the following questions in mind. Now, I'll repeat a few of them or I can talk about them, but on Whole Child Sports in the Parent Coach Toolkit, there's a list again for anybody who wants to really peruse it. But the key, some of the key elements are, does the coach encourage fair play and emphasize honor and self-control on their team, whether they're eight years old or 10 or 15, whether they're in a rec league or in an, in an elite travel team that's number seven in, in the in the state number 27 in the country. Are those principles there? Does the coach, does she play more, place more emphasis on winning or participation? Is she willing to select the players who give their best for the team as opposed to those who are gifted, but maybe selfish and unreliable? This is a decision. Your kids are, are, are reading into this. They see when a coach chooses the selfish players because they perform better, and that informs how they're thinking about what life is like. And while it may be true that out there in life this happens, you might want your kid to have a moral compass where they try to correct that or keep that from happening because they'll be better team leaders and team participants in future teams in their own jobs if they've been seeing that paradigm and learned it the proper way in a coach. Is the coach aware of the social dynamic in the group? Can they relate on a deeper level to some of the issues that they may be confronted with? Is he active in organizing social as well as sporting events for the team and their friends and families. And if the coach isn't, the parents can suggest it and actually do it. So like if you have a team of 11-year-old girls and they're always bickering and fighting and they're getting down on each other, they're being toxic to each other in a sport setting, in a game setting, because she didn't score, she didn't pass to me, she only passes to her. The best way to solve that is to get them in another context, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing as how you solve some bullying situations. Get them in another con- context where they're playing a, something different or watching a movie or reading scary stories to each other around a campfire. That'll help them bond. Now, of course, you can't just leave them to their own devices because the same cliques that we're forming out in the in the field will form just as quickly coagulating and hardening around the campfire and one kid will get left out. You have to socially engineer a little bit. 
subtly or ask your daughter or, you know, hey, can you bring her into the fold? And and that needs to be done. But it's so much better socially. Now, there are, you know, we're we're close to our time, but there are other principles here of choosing a good coach. And I know that some parents feel like they don't have a choice because they're in a small town and there's only one coach. Well, we have something for that, too. It's a little bit off base, uh, you know, a little bit of an outlier type of scenario, but you can create your own alternative league. You can create games for some kids who don't want to be on the travel team traveling everywhere and they're local. And you can even find out that there's in the next town, a group of kids and parents who also want to do it. You can create these atmospheres. I know that Mike Lanza, we may have spoken about him before, did this with Playborhood. Yeah. He created in his own backyard and front yard, really cool places for kids to get off their phones and hang out and do fun stuff with each other. So you as a parent can actively solve some of these problems. But at the very least, you need to know the nature and character of the coach. Mm-hmm. Is she ego-driven? Is he only success-oriented? Do they encourage self-image of all the players and affirm their strengths as well as attempting to improve their weaknesses? Does she give too much attention to the star of the team, neglecting the others? Is he willing to relate to and not exclude the parents of players? all tips for parents to look for the best coach because we've talked on a broad scale about international theater of sport and the imbalance in family life based on everybody chasing sort of the arms race to have the great athlete or the great musician or the great ballerina or gymnast. The truth is that everything starts at home and in your community. So you can counter this raging current of competitiveness and narrow-mindedness and our kids as our entertainment with different principles. And it starts with letting your kid play freely at the ages of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And even as they're getting into organized sports, maybe at age 10 or 11 or 12, that they still have time to do that. There is another offering on whole child sports website, which is a 10 tenants of a whole youth or a whole child sports experience. And while we don't have time to get into them, one of the principles is to make sure that if your child is an athlete, that they play multiple sports. So that they engage in different activities, which are different for their bodies too, that their bodies work in different ways so that they don't get exhausted or have injury, but also that you take one season off. And if you have three kids in sports, engineer for that one season off for all your kids at the same season. So maybe yeah. it's the summer or maybe it's the winter. And in that time, do family stuff mm-hmm. and do stuff that may not be considered sports in the strict organized sense, but is also good for them being in movement in their bodies, like hiking or biking, a family trip with hiking and biking as the destination activity. Mm -hmm. Give their bodies a break. Give their minds and their competitiveness a break. Give their souls some room to breathe. Mm -hmm. Luis, these books and your website have been so life-changing for me. There's also an alternative scorecard that people can find on Whole Child Sports as well. And just to reiterate, the books may seem like they're niche, but they are some of the best parenting books I have ever read. This is beyond winning and emotionally resilient teens and tweens, because you you talk about all of it. 
you weave in why the downtime is important. Why shouldn't we use up every single bit of a child's time? Why is boredom important? That whole concept of when your kids are bored, you have not failed. And I don't think that someone would look at a book necessarily that is about youth sports culture and maybe know off the bat that, you know, this is, there's going to be something for every single parent at every single age and stage of parenting in this book that you'll be able to grasp onto and find encouragement and inspiration, even just the ideas of creating your own things. You're going to find empowerment. I think that would be the word. And this thought of, listen, if all of our sports, if they're taking up all of this soul feeding stories, we have got to be intentional about getting them from other places. Read your kids good books, watch good movies together, weave your own family stories. And I do love that you and Kim and Scott, you're always going back to that family as a home base, as a harbor. That's a big piece of emotionally resilient teens and tweens too. So it all is cohesive. It all is encouraging. It all is empowering. And I'm so thankful that you took the time to spend with us again today. And hopefully we can do it again another time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's always a pleasure. I love what you do. You you dig deep into uh, the subject matter and you unearth gems that the author might not even know are there. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And love your book, both of your books. I don't know if people can see, but there is your latest and there is... <laughs> That's impressive because it's probably like backwards. <laughs> I I, I, I'm not a meteorologist on TV, <laughs> but I, I kind of <laughs> succeeded. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Luis. Really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. It was a pleasure always. Thank you, Jenny. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.